Good people of Los Angeles, welcome back to the FCFC pod. Tonight, we've got my friend, my brother, my LA filmmaker of choice, the homie who's wicked with the lens, the man who can document the streets of Hollywood and Koreatown and your neighborhood, and then go get lunch at a spot you never heard of afterwards and tell you all about it. That's right. Orson Oblowitz is on the podcast today. He's got a new film, The Five Rules of Success, with yours truly inside as a restaurant critic. Check that. You know what it is. It's going to be in a drive-in near you, a.k.a. right smack in the middle of Hollywood. And uh, we're going to throw some links up for tickets to that. But uh, Slim, before we get into this long meandering conversation with Orson about South Africa and film and kicking someone in the head with a football and FIFA and domination of FIFA, want to hit him with the warning? Ladies and gentlemen, we're all sitting at home, so there's not as much background noise, but it's the same profanity. So if you're at home, around children, or at work, where you shouldn't be listening to profanity, there's probably a good time to stop listening. What's your favorite word? Biatch! FCFC. Welcome to the FCFC pod where two scholars and a dickhead look at the world through a black and gold tinted lens. It's your favorite Korean thicky, as always, still sitting in my green ass room. Uh, we got Josh Sexy Spice sitting to my left on in his room. Draco free, Bobby free, 2021. Let's go. Hey, Draco, I got love for you, man, but I don't like all that spicy shit you were saying about Meg Thee Stallion, bro. I'm just saying. And we have the bearded one, Mr. Throw Some Tea on That Bitch, Big Dweez is in the Northern Lights this evening. Oh, my no. God. <laughs> Use that you, one already, Dweez. Come on. Did you did you ever know that the background of Slim's, the, the specific shade of green of Slim's background looks like it's a green screen? So, like, you could probably be having all sorts of crazy cinematic universe shit. Very it's not appropriate. green screen green, though. It's like it's um, trashy weed dispensary in the early 2000s green. Okay. <laughs> green enough. And well, today we, we have a very special guest. Um, you all know in the FCFC universe, we love storytellers. Um, we've had people that storytell through pictures, uh, through their words. And today we have someone that does it through both. And is kind of coming up with cool ways to to kind of put out his his content, um, and we'll probably get into that. But tonight, a good friend of our our boy Benny Blanco, who's resting up easy in the hospital and going through recovery right now. Um, big big Orson Oblowitz is is on the Zoom call with us today. How you doing, bro? I'm good, yo. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed the free Draco uh, shout out. I'm I'm <laughs> yeah, a fan. Man. Hell yeah. I was schooled on it like um, like a couple months ago. So I just anytime I get to say it now, I just say free Draco. Let's go. <laughs> before 
before we started recording, we started talking about whether all of us have hung out before. And of course, you know, had this not been during a pandemic, we'd all be in the backyard recording where it turns out we all have hung out before uh, on a 4th of July many moons ago in another dimension, it seems like, <laughs> where the fireworks were exploding, the skateboards were being had, narrow misses to limbs being blown off, and lots of good drinks and joy were spread. But as it stands, we're all just hanging out on Zoom. And uh, Orson, I appreciate you bring, being on here, brother. You're one of my oldest oldest friends in the creative world that you know i we we talk so often and it was it was one of those moments where i was like how have i never asked orson to be on the pod like he's been to the lafc world he's seen seen all that but he's a cinematic man in a city that's cinematically eating itself alive right now and so i just kind of wanted to to have you on to talk film and food and you know everything in between as as we want to do on fcfc but um Usually we, we talk about the, the oldest football memory as our first question, but given your connection to, to film, I am curious, what is your oldest memory of film or of movies? My oldest memory of movies? It's funny because Ben had already asked me what my oldest football memory was today. So he was like, do you know your oldest football memory, bro? And I actually did have one. But, oh well, uh, well, you can give that too. You can give that. We, we want know, both. It's, it's kind of messed up, but it was like I was a kid. I was probably like three, four, maybe. And it's actually a really old memory. I kicked a ball and I hit another kid in the face. Hell yeah! And that was the first thing <laughs> I remember. Was just like it's <laughs> the first relationship I ever had to soccer and football ever was just like kicking this thing and this kid getting rocked in the face. But then I ended up playing a bunch when I was younger, uh, not into high school, but like all before that, um, just because I could kick the ball really hard. And uh, that was kind of all I did was like I just played defense and just kicked the ball as hard as I could and wouldn't let people come by because I didn't like to run very much. Yeah. And uh, so that was my my football. But for film, my first film memory, yo, it was watching my mom put me on when I was a kid. It was watching the like old Superman cartoons, the like Max Fleischer. I don't know if you remember. It was like uh, the old, old Superman jump offs, like the hand drawn ones from like the 60s. Um, he like fights robots. Um, and that was like the first thing I ever saw. And I was obsessed with Superman. And then when I was like six or seven, I would like dress in this like Superman outfit. And I was like, mom, look, I can fly. I was standing on a, a couch and I fell and I, I hit my head on a on a radiator and I had to go. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> so film like, you know, your pain, suffering and film went together very early on and it hasn't stopped. <laughs> These are two so things that belong together. together. Violent filmmaker Orson. This is where this is where all of the trauma comes from. The radiator at, at age five. <laughs> yeah, because in New York, like, yeah, in New York, like we had these just like exposed radiators that like no parent should have their kid in around. These like metal spikes with like honestly hot water spewing out of them. I mean, it was completely insane. But <laughs> I don't think my parents were taking these things into consideration when I was uh, conceived. So, you know, I don't know what they were taking into consideration. <laughs> <laughs> but it happened. So, yeah. So. So yeah. you're you're kicking balls on the on the schoolyard, whacking kids in the face. Is this we're in New York City, Orson's hometown where he, you know, 
where he started his his radiator days, his film days, his football days. But tell tell us a little bit. I mean, I know the story a little bit, but I want to hear more about just like how you came to be a young child in America into film. I mean, your parents were both in the film industry by the time you came into the world, but they did not grow up in New York City. They grew up in South Africa. Yeah, which is how you and I became friends at first was because you had just been at the World Cup in South Africa blowing vuvuzelas and shit. And like, <laughs> and uh, and they had done that in Cape Town. So we started talking a lot about Cape Town. Um, yeah. yeah, my mom and dad were from Cape Town. They met out there. Um, actually, there are like funny, you know, uh, my dad first realized he was he, he was like couldn't see properly when he was at a football game in Cape Town. He, he, his dad was like, oh, look at number like 10. And he's like, what are you talking about? What numbers are you talking about? And they were like, oh, on the back of the jersey. And he had no idea that numbers were on the back of fo- football jerseys. So it's just a funny thing of my dad's insanity. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so they were from Cape Town. Mom and dad met out there. We're like, they was like art school and you have to go to army and it was just like super racist and terrible. And they were like, fuck this place. Like their parents had, my dad's parents had escaped the Holocaust, his dad and stuff, but they were like, we're not staying around for this nonsense. You know, y'all, y'all, you know, want to go to war with black people who are innocent and it's honestly their homeland. Like we're getting the hell out of this. We don't want anything to do with it. So they came to New York and um, lived quite an eccentric lifestyle uh, really got in deep with kind of the seventies New York city downtown. It was, you know, it was different. Like you could live in lofts for a hundred dollars a month. Um, so they just might came there, started making crazy little movies. And, uh, yeah, one day just like I showed up, you know, I don't know. And, um, yeah, from then on out, you know, do you know, we might have to do a follow-up episode and get Michael Oblowitz and Rosemary on here, but do you know what like their first exposure to film was? Like, why did they choose that medium or why were they drawn to it, do you think? It, it was it was banned um, in South Africa, most movies, because of the fascist government there. So they were drawn to A, it being... So they would go like watch it illegally with their friends, like in barns and shit. And if you got... There's only a few movies that were allowed, mostly government made films in the country. So not dissimilar that ended up happening in China and happened in a lot of other countries, Iran and places in the world um, during that time. So they were just like terrible, jingoistic ass of African, you know, white man trash. Mm. And I think a big thing that attracted them was that it was like, well, why is this? banned obviously this is so like you know most things it's like when you know parental advisory explicit lyrics were on an album you were like i want to know what that album is um it was the same thing with film i think they saw an opportunity to they saw that this was if this wasn't allowed it's because it was powerful and interesting and i think that's what attracted them both separately with my mom acting and my dad being a he was a photographer back then, um, getting more into like arts and storytelling. Yeah. And, you know, when I first heard, I think you're the story, we kind of breezed over it, but you, you know, your grandparents, you know, escaped the Holocaust. Uh, 
or I guess it was your great grandparents, grandparents, my, my, my grandfather, um, his family was killed in it. His parents were killed in it, but he got on a, on a boat and, um, he played like cards and chess to pay each leg of the trip to South Africa from Russia and Lithuania. Yeah. And do you think that like, you know, by the time he makes this incredible voyage, tooth and nail making 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 his his gambling bucks and getting a new life going in south africa do you think that like given his life experience when your dad um you know chose chose photography chose film chose the arts was he just like yeah man like shit you only live once like you got to go for it were they kind of supportive of it or was it you know i feel like film is i I guess what i'm getting at is film is one of these choices or art is one of these choices that you know many parents you know especially immigrant parents might like not be keen for their kids to pursue but do you think that your dad felt like he he could or he was kind of it's even rebelling against his own family when he chose oh they his parents hated it they wanted him to go my grandfather after he got to south africa um he like ended up building like a little like a jeans company and had a factory and he wanted my, he wanted my dad to stay in and work on the jeans mm. and not leave. And my dad was like, I'm not sticking around at all. He was very stringent, like Lithuanian guy, my grandfather, you know, a lot. And so yeah. my dad was like, I'm getting the hell out of here. Yeah. Josh Spice, when you wanted to, to pursue a career in the arts, what were your parents' reactions? Uh, I, I think they, they still have a hard time. I mean, I'm not in the arts right now. I'm just in, I'm a marketing guy, but they have a hard time understanding marketing and that it pays and, and its role in the world, which is non-essential. Right. Um, so mm-hmm. I think they were big also into like trade school, even, you know, to mean like, Hey, like learn how to do something with your hands, which I wish I had taken them up, up on their offer. <laughs> Me too. Um, yeah. I'm like, that's, that's so like how pivotal for society that, that people know how to actually make shit, you know? Instead of like tweeting out stuff that which is a tweet for money. That's that's my my entire occupation, dude. dude no, I get that. I get that. Yeah. Like it's you know, it's I sometimes someone was asking me, they were like, Oh, like what's gonna be your value during the uh you know, impending apocalypse? And I was like, Absolutely nothing. Yo, <laughs> yo, I mean, honestly when uh, they started um started those the the clear bisection of um essential non-essential i was like i'm hopping to the non-essential side real quick i know i know where i stand you know i, I know my place here but orson yo there's um i wanted to ask you man like i'm a jersey kid myself grew up in queens as well but um for a city of so many million people and who actually kind of work in like the entertainment side of it like i feel like um I don't actually get to talk to a lot of like the New York, the city kids, right? The city kids were kind of part of the art scene there, man. So like for some, for, for a backdrop that's been like so heavily publicized, probably like the most well-known place on film ever, right? Like what was it like growing up with your folks who are like involved in that, in, in, in the everyday minutia of it? Well, my dad was out living out here. So I was mainly with my mom and she, you know, it was weird. Cause I always say like New York cities, when you grow up there, it's like a small town, like, it's it a lot of people who are in New York never leave. And so we were in downtown New York. It was pretty actually small and kind of tribal. She taught theater to like uh, in the parks department, like in the projects and stuff. So mm. she taught theater to kids in like, you know, Crown Heights and Bronx and Harlem. Um, so it was interesting because my dad was out here being like doing film stuff 
but I was mainly around my mom, which was like a much more local arts scene, right? Because, you know, she's teaching kids who have never, ever once in their life heard of fucking William Shakespeare and she's having them do Macbeth, you know, with breakdancing and stuff. So it was pretty cool because I think I got like a much more grounded version of it. Um, and I think that's one of the nice things about growing up in the city is yes, even though like industry wise, it's New York, it's probably, you know, and I got to, you know, the, the thing you get is you just, you know, you live next to some famous filmmaker who like, you know, your, your mom walks the dog with and, you know, they're super, that's the, that's the upside in New York is there's this kind of, you're rubbing elbows with everyone. You know, you're rubbing elbows with the richest people, the most successful people. And you're also just with your neighborhood bodega. It doesn't matter. It's, it's kind of like everyone's on a similar level. And that's why mm. I love the city and that kind of mentality. So, yeah, yeah, it was cool. It was grounded, you know. It wasn't like we weren't super well off. Like it was just, it was just, you know, everyone was doing their thing. And there were some people who were super famous filmmakers and artists and actors. Like Lawrence Fishburne lived a block away from me. You'd see like... Wow. Lawrence Fishburne every day getting coffee and I remember like when he did the matrix I was like oh man I loved you in the matrix and he was like oh you know thank you so much <laughs> I was like yeah you, you too Morpheus yeah. like yo where that where that I was like yo honestly I take the blue pill you know but, um, <laughs> blue pill let's go yeah. but Bluetooth um, sponsor the pod let's say that you got some boys over there no that's yo that's that's wild to hear because I think it's interesting because like when I was growing up in Queens, I always felt like the kids in the city um, didn't really have, they were, like you said, rubbing elbows with everybody where like I, all I saw from the boroughs and even Jersey was like the ivory towers of media, right? There's such a high barrier of entry to get into like intern rooms and all that stuff. But for the city kids who grew up downtown, I feel like there was like this kind of like creativity that they were a part of naturally. I'm not sure like, I mean, because your mom was kind of in the local art scene, so you felt like there's everything's kind of accessible there. But for me, growing up, it felt like there was like the establishment who not, didn't necessarily want to let the the immigrant kids in, and then uh, when you're coming outside from from the boroughs, but like the kids who lived in the city actually felt like they had some kind of touchstones, you know, to have um, more access to creativity and the arts. I think that's interesting to say because I think that's a big part of growing up in the city is there is these like different, it's very elitist depending on where you live. And there is something to be in like, this is downtown, this is Queens. Like I never went to Queens that much growing up, right? We did end up moving to Brooklyn later in my life. I moved to Red Hook and mm. we lived there for a long, for about 15 years um, until not long ago, my mom moved to LA. And it's interesting you say that because I actually remember, you know, I do have lots of friends I remember like, you know, we would all grow up in downtown and that'd be like the kids you met at school who were from Queens or somewhere like that. And it did always feel a little bit like there was this barrier between us and them. And, but eventually, you know, I think, like I remember my one friend, Jay, he talked about it that when he came to school in Manhattan, he went to look, ended up going to LaGuardia, mm. uh, the performing arts school from Queens. It was hard for him to find people who kind of let him in to the circle, you know, but they did eventually, because I think one of the things about growing up in New York is there's just this kind of like 
magnetic thing that goes on between people. And if you just kind of vibe and are on the same wavelength, like you just end up getting together. It almost doesn't matter what the deal is, you know? Yeah, man. Yeah, like I, I agree. I think especially even it gets better and better or more connected, as they say, where people like in weird niches kind of find themselves. And I think even in, that's the thing, like pockets of the city that felt impenetrable to, impenetrable to me before, like feel like more accessible now because people are naturally organizing and doing things like over social media and stuff. But no, that's really fascinating. Slim for you as like kind of like a born and bred LA kid, like what, like what's your perception of like, like New York City kids. We just talked about like, I, in my head, when I think on New York City kids and like Brooklyn kids, it's always like, like Bobby Schmurter is like perfect. I'm just like, this is like all the cats like I grew up like alongside who are like doing their own thing and like so like hype and so prideful. But like for you, Sam, like what's it like to hear about Orson's experience by growing up like as like in the biggest city in the damn country? I mean, it makes sense because to to the outside person looking in, it's like this crazy clusterfuck of you know like people and thoughts and you know just the way everything functions but i could see how when you're in it all the time it's just all you know and like you said you're just rubbing elbows with people all the time whether they're up here down here in the middle like and with that i guess like those barriers of those classes and stuff can get broken down through like like you said you figure out each other's interests like it's you know if you're kind of forced to be around each other all the time you kind of uh you know figure that part out and what i think about new york kids in general like compared to la kids is like you guys definitely got a better vocabulary than us um i don't know why that is but like it is um you know fast talking like you know real quick on their feet and la people are just like we're just a little more a little more laid back um you know, people always say New York kids dress better, but that's because y'all motherfuckers got seasons. We could rock basketball shorts and hoodies out here like 365. So fuck all y'all. West side. Y'all know what it is. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny, though, because, you know, my dad lived out here, so I would come out to L.A. all the time on summers and stuff. He lived uh, originally like in Venice for a long time since the 80s. So when it was a different, very different Venice. But. I always found it super hard to vibe with people in LA because the big thing is in New York, you're just, you are literally rubbing elbows with people. You're Mm -hmm. around people all day. It's part of the fast talking, you know, like thing is because we're just, we're around people. You walk in a store, you walk on the street, you go in the subway, you you go to a restaurant. Like it's just, you go to school. It's just, there's always, it's, it's much more frenetic. When I come out here, I'd be like, the fuck i'm driving like 20 minutes i don't see anyone like you know what's going on in their circles like it's 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 way more separated and segregated here you stay like you find your circle your few blocks and you stay within in that area even me still to this day like i don't feel comfortable going past k-town like when i'm in santa monica i I don't feel like i belong you know what i mean (laughs) yeah um, so yeah, it's, it's, it still is that way. And that's why there's so many, there's so many things to do in LA that like so many Angelinos don't do because it's just, it's, it's been too accessible, like a 40 minute drive to the beach, a hour drive to the mountains. You can go shoot guns in the desert. We can, and then you can go to Disneyland and, you know, like trip Mickey. I don't know. But everyone just decides to stay home and get high instead. 
Hey. hey, that's felt like a personal attack. We can yeah. fight it out. <laughs> yeah, I love exploring this city, dude. No, this city. <laughs> no, I, I, I think it, like you, you, you plan to do it. And there are still a lot of people that do it. But I've always been saying like the people that get the most out of L.A. are the people that move here later because they want to do everything when they get here. No, it's true. I mean, I, I love like I ended up. I have such a love-hate relationship in LA because like it was like this, like it was like my mistress, you know. Like I fucking lived in New York, I'm born and raised in New York, but I'd like mistress. It's a badass mistress. That's (laughs) what I'm saying. It is a badass mistress, though, because LA, like when I would come here and visit and stuff, like we were always on the west side, we would hardly ever go past like freaking uh Fairfax, like ever. Mm. Like Hollywood was weird, K-Town was like unheard of. And no one would come over here. And then when I ended up getting older and moving here, when I was, you know, um, I started coming here a lot when I was like 18, 19, but, you know, 22 and I came out of school. I was like, dude, this is the dopest place ever. I got, you literally have the, I mean, this is going to take us on a whole tangent, but like you got fucking Koreatown, Thai town, little Tokyo. It's like, I love food. I love taking photos. Like I just realized there was this like endless place to explore. And uh, it was cool. It's cool because you can get lost in places in LA. In New York, you go in a neighborhood, you walk through it, you're out of that neighborhood. You can be out of it pretty quick. Here, you go to K-Town and you're like, where the hell does that place begin and end, dude? Like, <laughs> like I'm at my mom's right now around like freaking Western and Beverly. But Yeah, well, you're smack in the, in the, the outskirts of it, but still in the middle of it at the same time, man. I love exactly. It. Like, <laughs> yeah, I could yeah. go get some fire galby, like, yeah, right yeah. down, like, a block away. But I know how deep I can go. You know, I can go much deep. It's cool. I just, you know. Um, Shout out Beer Garden and Western and First, the best bar in Korea. Oh, I love that Please place. Go. Hell yeah, dude. That's dude, a that good place. place is Hell yeah, man. Yeah, that, the place right around. I, I I love it. We went there a few times. I think we watched some of the a bunch of Dodgers games. It's just yeah. it's on the corner of where she is. But hell yeah, yeah. dude. Yeah, right there. I you know I want I want to tell uh, I'm, I have a weird place in K Town. It's I'm very recent here, but one of the older older homies, like old old homies from K Town, told me. I was like, bro, like why why y'all love Magic Johnson so much? You always talk about Magic Johnson, and all your old heads. He's like, let me tell you, Josh. Back when no sports stars, no athletes were ever stepping foot in K-Town, I saw Magic coming out of the seediest K-Town fucking bar. And I was like, yo, Magic. And he's like, sup. And he walked out and he was like, yo, Magic really out in K-Town doing some shady shit. Oh, yeah. they, Yo, if, if one Korean spot, like one Korean homie shows you like that backdoor elevator to get to the, the after hour spot, like you're, you're in real K-Town. Right. <laughs> Well, I, when we talk about my new film, I shot at a spot in K-Town that was a back, a, a real, like, it, it, it was like a downstairs elevator. They never let anyone film there. I just hit them up and found it. And it was, it was wild. Let me say, <laughs> there was toothpaste in the bathroom, dude. Yep. Like, well, like, it's because the, in most of like the, uh, like the, I guess, nicer karaoke spots and whatnot, they'll all have, um, Mouth rinse and toothpaste because we all we're all coming from fucking Korean barbecue, like yeah. and, you know, like making out after that shit is not the business because you know Koreans love garlic with the, all their shit. So Dude, I love it. There was a oh my god, so I love Korean barbecue, bro. I miss Korean barbecue so much right now, dude. It's I hate back slowly open, opening. Babies, if you're into it, 
Oh, I'm 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 all about it. Hey, I want to get into Orson. I think we're probably going to tackle um, like your characterizations, your characters, all the kind of incredible stories you're writing now about LA, um, um, especially in your new movie and and before that as well. But I wanted to ask you, uh, ask the kind of I think this is the good group to ask. It's like people say the rub and elbow stuff. New York people naturally have some pe people. Have said to me, New York people naturally have a little more community together. But and I don't know if like my LAFC universe is completely still did the equation the other way where I'm like, all I see is community, all I see is barbecues. But what I can tell you for sure, a couple of anecdotes is like, first of all, I've been to more barbecues in like a month in the, than I have in a lifetime here in Los Angeles. And second, it's um, go to Dodger Stadium in the all you can eat section and see all the families that come out there on a Tuesday. I'm like, I think that's beautiful. I feel like that's kind of rare, rare form on the East Coast, whether that's through weather, whether people is like, they just kind of want to hole up or something. But um do you guys feel like the community familial atmosphere of it is um, something that's just like not available to most transplants? That's why they think like that. Or do you feel like there's actually some some kind of uh, there's a truth behind like maybe New York has more community vibes than L.A. Like fuck the movie Crash. But like that's what Crash was saying. Right. Um, it, It's hard to say. I mean, the thing that's different about L.A. is like we have enough space to have fucking parks so we can all go grill out and like like really cultivate that community whereas like like you have to like sit on a stoop somewhere all day in new york to be like like in the community vibes all day and shit like so it's 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 all different but yeah i don't i don't really know how to really distinguish between the two i think uh, to an extent whatever you want to say is true about la will be true based on your experience of it right Oof. um it's one of those things where it's sort of defined by the user um whereas i feel like a city like new york happens to you more than you can choose how to happen to it like you know it's it's you're you're sort of stuck in the vortex so you're like part of the stream where here it's like you really can dictate you can control and isolate as much as you want or go and be in pockets of community as much as you want. Um, and it's a little bit more user, user, I don't want to say user friendly, but like user driven than New York, which is like environment driven. Well, like a big thing is like, I, I, I'm saying is, like, I, I think is right. Is like, New York, we don't have houses with backyards and like places like that where I mean, I've always been amazed about that in LA. I think you see it so much in like the 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 like Hispanic community, super hardcore, and and all different of the Asian communities. More, I mean, it's funny to say that just because I don't think you see it so much. I mean, maybe it's a different one, but more in kind of like the the white community of LA is just a is a different thing. I guess it's just a different vibe. It's it's more like New York, but I see like like I mean, going to you know, big freaking barbecues in LA. Like, I don't know where else. I'd, the only other place I've really seen that is Hawaii. I know it's weird. And I've spent a lot of time in Hawaii as well. It's the only place that has that same vibe sometimes where, you know, like I was talking to my mechanic the other day, Louis, he's the man. And, and I was like, what are you doing this weekend? He was like, bro, the same thing I do every Sunday, you know, like me and my whole family, we go out to my cousin's place. We go to Vallarta Market. We cop a ton of freaking steaks and we just barbecue all together and hang out. And I think you see that in the car community here. Like, I think that's a really interesting place where you see it. 
I think, I mean, we see in like, you know, the sports community, New York, obviously we love our fucking Yankees. We love them. You know, maybe some people like the Mets, but that's another, that's a whole other world, you know, uh, that I was not part of, but like my friends were super hardcore Yankee fans and we all grew up playing baseball, but there was no place to convene in such a way that you get here. Um, and there's not like that extensive like pregame like meetup. You know, you guys are just linking at the bar across the street from the stadium, right? Yeah, like there's a lot of being at bars, right? Mm-hmm. We go to bars. We go to you know if there's someone has if there's a lot like if someone had a loft, you could do that. But you know, a lot of us, you know, we're you know people are living in one bedroom apartments, two bedroom apartments with their whole family. That's just New York, and you know rooftops. But you don't get that same. And I think I was always attracted to that. Like, I love, that's part of the reason I love taking photos here. Like, you can just go to fucking uh, Elysian Park on a Sunday, and it's just like, it's straight up banging. It's like, it's like, like straight up like low riders and bikes and people playing sports. And you just don't, I don't know, it's pretty cool. I, I, you got the beach here, 20, 30 people hanging on the beach together with food, just chilling. You know, I'm very happy to have been here during the last year during this pandemic because you can go to the park with your friends still. You can go to the beaches. You can do this stuff. Like, you don't. So, yeah, I don't know. I definitely think the geography of L.A. and the space gives people more opportunity to gather together and for community, which I I think is really cool. And you also have so many different type of people here, like, to gather. True that. And you can catch Orson riding the waves every weekend and weekday. I mean, this guy's been riding. He's been riding all through quarantine, guys. This guy. Look at him. He's bronze. There's a reason he's bronzed and the three of us are just over here, like, cowering underneath our fluorescent light bulbs stuck in our houses. Orson's been living in his best quarantine life. Let's put it that way. Uh, dude, I gotta stay sane. Dude, let's take, a, let's take a break. Let's take our first break and we'll be back with Mr. Oblowitz here shortly. Yay, yay. Hey. We're back here, FC, FC Pod, here with the homie filmmaker, Orson Oppowitz. And um, you know what? I want to do this justice. He's got a film coming out. It's coming to drive-ins near you. But um, I'm going to read this from thededline.com. Deadline.com. Exclusive. Here's a first trailer for Fantasia Bound Feature, The Five Rules of Success, starring Santiago Segura. Isadora Gorster, Jonathan Howard, Roger Gunvir Smith, and John Sklaroff. How'd I do on that, on the names? Pretty good, honestly. Damn it. Okay. The film will chart how, upon his release from prison, an enterprising ex-convict sets out to rebuild his life with a bulletproof and self-taught mindset. Society quickly proves to be just as treacherous as life behind bars, forcing him into extreme measures while he pursues the American dream. Orson, it's uh, it's quite a synopsis, my friend. Can you fill in the good people of Los Angeles about maybe some of the gaps the synopsis has, a little more color into it, the context <laughs> around where where Santiago's character is coming from? He's uh, he's coming from uh, doing a bid. He's been in there for quite a while. It, it it kind of unravels over the time of the film why he was in there, 
and um, you know, from a pretty trash childhood. And he shows up in Los Angeles, um, you know, with all the hopes and dreams. He's almost like bright eyed, like a clean slate. Like the world is, he really believes the world is at his fingertips and the best days are yet to come. And he gets a job at the, at an Armenian restaurant, uh, a place called that is called the Olympus gardens. Sadly, we have lost this amazing, beautiful restaurant due to COVID due to the pandemic, a great small business that, um, had to close its doors because it thrived off of kind of a more group setting. And so he goes there and gets a job and then comes a little bit face to face with the realities of being a formerly incarcerated person in society, which is his parole officer who treats him just as someone that's going to go right back to prison. So that kind of instills the reality he starts facing, which is, you know, that people don't really look at him as a human. They just kind of look at him as a guy who got in trouble and will continue to get in trouble. And hopefully for the time being, he won't make their lives too miserable. So, but he's a very entrepreneurial, savvy, smart guy. And he begins, he basically has this dream of opening a restaurant. And he's like, okay, you don't want to treat me like a human? Well, I'm going to figure it out. So, you know, against uh, all the adversaries and obstacles, he, he goes on his journey to open a small little restaurant in Los Angeles. And uh, he goes on a ride. And that's kind of the film. And it takes us all through what I would like to call like more uh, locations that are on the, more on the edge of Los Angeles that you don't get to see in films. Uh, we go to Hollywood, we go to the Korean uh, karaoke bar I was talking about earlier. It's called The Shrine. It's, oh, yeah. Have you been to that spot yep. downstairs? It's like an, it's like a pyramid. Yep. They're the one in the same plaza is the, the Korean spa, right? Yes. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And it's like that is definitely a hey, shout out that spot. It, it definitely let us party till like eight in the morning sometimes. Oh, yeah. They they were. They, they like to have a good time there, but it's a sick location. No, you know, I pride myself. I know it's great, but like, I like finding places that other people haven't filmed that because that just gives it texture and character. And I find locations to be characters and movies to me, mm. you know, you step in a location, that's a character. That's going to, that's going to give you a feeling of what's going on. Um, so yeah, he, you know, he's on his way to try to open this restaurant and he has to go to some more extreme, uh, extreme acts and extreme places to get it done because the normal channels just won't allow him. He wants to get a loan. They tell him you can't get a loan. He asks for help for the guy who's kind of become more like a father figure, the owner of the uh, Armenian restaurant. He says, eh, you're not ready. Like, why don't you just stick to be my little waiter? You know, like no one sees him as what I believe he sees himself, which he says in the film, which is like, I have a right to this because I'm born a human being, mm. you know, just cause I went to prison, just cause I, 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 I had to survive whatever. You don't know who I am. You don't even know why I was there. You, doesn't even, you don't even ask. No one even asks him, you know? And then when you find out later in the film, you realize, yo, this guy wasn't a bad dude. He just got caught up, right? Like some, yeah. some bad luck. And, and that's the story that I feel like is slowly starting to get a little more light of like, you know, that, that ever clinging web that is the system once you're in it. Like it's, you know, you're, you're in that system and that's how you're viewed. 
And I think, yeah, there's there's not enough space for rehabilitation and redemption in the system that America has set up. I agree 100%. And that's that's a big reason I went into making the film. And some people have been critical of it because they're like, well, he still has to resort to doing illegal things. I'm like, yeah, as a lot of people do, because the system doesn't treat them as someone that can accomplish things in the normal in the yeah. normal hierarchy. Just, anytime they say something snarky like that, be like, hey, do you have a, an iPhone? Yeah, fuck off. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> with that. Yeah, no, I'm with you. It, it's funny that it's like people, you know, people don't get that it, it's it's kind of like a chicken or the egg type thing with those characters. So yeah, so that's the film. That's the short version. It's also just kind of like a trip. It's very, I kind of made it in a way that it feels like a fever dream, almost like a hallucination. Mm-hmm. Um, because sometimes I don't know when you're faced or go through kind of traumatic or heavy moments in life they feel like a dream kind of they feel like you know hallucinatory yeah so that's the vibe i wanted to bring to it you know and and that's the angle we took yeah and we'll be posting the trailer and um the ticket purchase link in the in the link uh for this episode but if you if when you're watching the trailer like the supers are crazy heavy stylized the fever dream uh dream aesthetic is like kind of baked into that as well um Roshan, I, was, I think I pulled up like a random interview you were doing and then the, the interviewer was asking you like, how do you make relatable and believable characters? And you said something like, you gotta, you gotta write them as if like, you gotta write them like that they breathe oxygen. And I just thought that's fucking incredible because it's like so many of these characters like are like um, on film and all this, especially like now today with like social justice storylines and all that stuff feel like just kind of these tropes and these like two dimensional characters that actually wouldn't be here in our real life. But um, for Santiago's character here, it feels like these are people that we kind of know. And we talk about the outskirts of Los Angeles. And I think there's been really, we pride ourselves also as like being not only um, to know those people, but to have lived in those outskirts. And it feels like this is just a story, um, including the kind of fever dream, dream trip kind of uh aesthetic that it feels super believable and relatable to to a lot of people who might be watching totally that's that's the thing is like yeah we see these kind of films that are like you said like social justice films but you go who is that person who's ever spoken like that who's ever who's ever just like like just talk to someone sometimes you know and i think something that hollywood struggles with and i kind of you know i've always lived on the outskirts of the industry, I've never gotten, you know, I kind of like live in my own little weird bubble of weirdness Um, because I feel like the problem with Hollywood is these people don't talk to these characters. They make them up and they believe, they make up these, these kind of, uh, you know, like these tropes, these, these, these archetypes of what someone who went to prison or someone who, who struggles with money or something, whatever it is, you know, someone, uh, a single, you know, a single mother trying to take care of a kid. And it just, it's like, okay, we get it, but just, just let them talk. Like they talk, they all do, they all eat, they all breathe oxygen. They all use the fucking bathroom. Like it's not, it's not that, it, it's not that esoteric. It's not that it, it's actually quite the opposite. Just have fun. Just like uh, something I love to do. And honestly, something I've struggled with during this pandemic because it, it makes it harder for me to write is I really like listening to people talk. Like when I go out and go to a bar or just go to parties or go to places, I like, 
you know, hearing what, how people are conversing or discussing their mannerisms. That's um, right, listeners. Orson created at Overheard in LA. He's the one behind your favorite memes. <laughs> I wish. I love that <laughs> shit, dude. Yeah, but that's so the thing, right? Like, like when you take, we talk, we're crazy. Like we don't make, we don't make a ton of sense necessarily in discussion. So you have fun with that, you know, you, I don't know, man, but I do agree with you. Like I do struggle with a lot of these films because these characters feel very distant a lot in Hollywood movies. Um, and I understand that there's kind of like a barrier of entry that they don't want to get into the nitty gritty of who these characters are a lot. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's fun. I like these people. I've always I've spent my life taking photos of them, hanging out around them. I, uh, you know, the, the dirtier the bar, the, the, the more the more chance I'll be there. Mm-hmm. Dweez, for you as, as uh, not only Orson's friend, but someone who supports the homies and now a fan of his, his filmmaking, like, have you seen like a through line through his characters? Have you seen like what what are some of the common things that come out from a, from an Orson movie? Well, so it would take it would take a, a, a small, you know, mini series of pods for for Orson and I to like tell the tell the good listeners like our own relationship with like transgressive society or like things that happen, you know, that run against the grain. Um, I think both in our personal lives and like things we'd seen. And, you know, this is Orson. I think it's like, yeah, your third film in three years that have that's been released. First was Queen, the Queen of Hollywood Boulevard. Then it was Trespass. Trespassers wasn't one you wrote, but you directed and then um, five rules of success and where maybe Trespassers because Orson hadn't written it um, doesn't have as much of his hand in terms of the character development queen and queen of Hollywood Boulevard. And this one are really kind of similar. They they live in the same cinematic universe of Los Angeles. I feel like um, in a good way and like all good, writer director combos like there's a certain flavor you get with like an Orson Oblowitz film and something kind of amazing about his that first feature Queen of Hollywood Boulevard is his mom ended up playing the main actress the lead role um I don't know Orson do you want to do you want to just give a brief synopsis of, of that one or do you want me to do it uh I mean it's up to you dude I mean I, I could or you I, I like the Dweez takes, but you know. <laughs> All right, my Dweez take. I mean, the, yeah. Dweez, the Dweez take on the first one is it's really, you know, about a, a woman who on her birthday, she she finds out that she's going to lose the strip club that she owns. Um, and she's an immigrant. Uh, Orson's mother, Rosemary, plays the character. And, uh, you know, she's basically stuck in this trap of trying to, to save her club before... Um, the end of her birthday and it's it's sort of again like a kind of fever dream extreme uh high pressure circumstance and there's various people that get kind of looped into it just like santiago's character does in um five rules of success where everyone is sort of reminded in in a way that i think is true to life that like you're never that far from the edge um yeah as as safe and as cushy as you think your life might be and characters like these and cities like Los Angeles offer a lot of glimpses into the lives of people who are really living in those day-to-day precarious places. And, you know, as much as we might live in America and Los Angeles and, you know, sort of the promise, 
up to you whether it's it's been fulfilled or not. Um, the accessibility of the dream, so to speak, isn't isn't always there in the way that uh, you know we had been led to believe decades and decades earlier. Maybe it was never always there at all. And so I feel like there's just something about the characters that exist in this like transgressive, you know, place where they're pushing against forces that are beyond their control, and yet they're really compelling and real, and they and they breathe real 3d oxygen and you feel them. And, you know, I have so much respect of, for Orson as a friend of mine and like a filmmaker, but he's also, these are independent films. Like he's making these on shoestring budgets, you know, and he's the one thing that's kind of a cool lesson. If you were a storyteller or someone who wanted to appreciate film more is like, you don't need, you know, a hundred million dollars to make a compelling character. You, you don't even need like $1 to make a compelling character. You can just, you know, write a compelling character. And, and um, if you're putting together films on a shoestring, like Orson, like those aspects, I mean, Orson has a, a strength as a photographer, I think in like his, his, like what he mentioned re- briefly about uh, locations being characters, which I want to get back into, um, you know, having that as like a tool in your toolkit too helps. Um, but I think, yeah, just from the beginning, these, these characters in that he, he writes are true because those are the type of people maybe that he and I, and not just like relate to like, I have a buddy that did this and this, but relate to like their experience feels real. And if you've experienced real things in your life, it's hard to go back to like the bubble gum and feel satisfied with it. So that's my take, Josh Spice. But I want to I want to hear a little bit more Ooh. about I want to hear a little bit more about um, char- uh, location as character, Orson. Like one thing, kind of common thread that the listeners of our pod and the people who follow the club that we follow, and I think all f- all four of us here that we love is we love the city of Los Angeles. We love finding different faces of it. Um, eating at different spots, drinking at different spots when, uh, those were options. But, uh, do you have a favorite, you know, kind of few places that you found, you mentioned some of the ones from success, but even like back in the queen, the queen days, some of the spots you'd found. And I mean, we'll throw, we'll throw photography in there too. Uh, You know, I know you took a lot of photos of the protests last year, um, and various other social happenings during the pandemic year, but do you have like favorite places to shoot photos or to shoot film and, Tell, well, tell the like, listeners a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is, like, main, like, most of the main locations in these films, like, were places people just, like, never used. Like, we, for Queen, the strip club was this place, Los Candiles in, uh, in Glassell Park. Really wild-looking place. Old, like, kind of, like, uh, Latino, like, drag bars. Super cool. Um and then, you know, we shot like a bunch of it in this like pickle factory in Lincoln Heights, you know, like just going to places that they never went to in other films, you know, they were very myopic in the way they shot films about Los Angeles for the most part over years, right? Like even when they show Hollywood, it looks like a nice place. I lived in Hollywood for 10 years. I've spent every single day of my life taking photos there, literally for 10 years, every day I've taken a photo in Hollywood. I'm very grateful to because that place just gives me fucking gold, but like, because it's so insane. I mean, there is nothing like Hollywood Boulevard. That is my number one. Uh, as much as, you know, sometimes I'm like, Oh man, like Hollywood. I love it. Cause there's just nothing like it. it, it it's like, it makes the most sense to me. Cause it's so nuts. 
you know, you got superheroes on the street. You got it's the biggest this. strip without casinos. Yeah, it, and <laughs> I can't believe there isn't a casino on there. Like, there probably is somewhere in Hollywood you just don't know. Or I don't yeah, know. yeah. I think Private I mean I think tables and shit for sure. I yeah. think it is. I think it is a casino, but your stakes are your real life. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like people putting up their dreams. You got the you got the guy in the Superman costume jumping into the radiator on Hollywood Boulevard too. So it's yeah, like okay. it brings Orson back. I'm yeah. not gonna lie. I always have to watch when like the superheroes are fighting each other, like in Hollywood, because it happens like once every couple months, and it's great. Yo, the <laughs> other day, the other day, I was walking by, and they were just like the whole gang of them were so happy. They were all walking together. Like it was like it was like Harley Quinn, Joker, who's her lover. I've been taking many photos of them over this pandemic. Um, uh, Chewbacca, Batgirl, Wonder Woman. And then Freddy Krueger was sadly by himself. They, they weren't hanging with him. And he was like, walk- <laughs> dude, I'm not joking. He was like walking. I took photos of this shit. He was walking by and like someone would come by and he would take his little like Freddy Krueger uh, claws and he would be like, hi, like trying to get their attention. And no one was giving Freddy Krueger the time of day because he's honestly scary as shit. Because he's Freddy Krueger. But so I love the Hollywood Boulevard. I love the superheroes. I just, I, I, I could spend, I just love it. Like, I feel like the whole world convenes there. You know, the, the other day, a bunch of cops got in trouble because like 30 of them were just on duty hanging out. They just decided, <laughs> like, and I saw them, I drove by and then I read this news story later. Like thirty cops, like I just decided they were gonna kick it on Hollywood Boulevard together and post up. Can't blame them, you know. I just wish we weren't paying for them to hang out. But um, <laughs> you know, it's our money. I'm like, damn. I wish someone paid me to hang out. <laughs> I do it every day for free. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. Come on, I'll take it. Um, but no, I love Hollywood, and then you know, I love. Uh, I mean, you know, there's many different places I love, but film shooting wise. You know, places where, you know, characters can be in Hollywood. I love shooting around K-Town. Western and Wilshire is a great intersection. It's just like, it's just, you know, another place where you just get a wild kind of combination of people. But cool thing about K-Town is a lot of, um, a lot of places, buildings haven't been messed with, even though there are all these new weird ones. There's still like all those really cool old buildings yeah. from the 30s and 40s. Uh, my office where I shot a lot of success is, was on Western and Santa Monica. So that kind of neighborhood of like Western, Santa Monica, Western and Santa Monica, uh, Santa Monica, Normandy, that kind of, old, it's almost still like a no man's land. Mm-hmm. They haven't, there's not, you know, it's just, there's not even really many restaurants there anymore. We filmed a lot around there and it looks a little like a different world to LA mm-hmm. that you normally see because there's people on the street, you know, mm-hmm. there's people selling uh roses and whatever else so um that's that's a good that's a good intersection man where it's like that uh army surplus store there right across the street from the argentinian groceries like it's like i love the argentinian yeah dude that argentinian grocery is fire bro the empanadas are so good oh Oh, the choripan the five dollar choripan there Yeah. yeah so so success ends up you know, we didn't do a ton of it, but uh, there is a montage in it where we go to different restaurants in L.A. Hmm. But uh, I, it's just a few we went to. Um, we have Olympus Gardens, Armenian. We have spicy. Uh, we have a spicy barbecue. Yeah, on a, a, place, a place Dweez showed me, which is a Jonathan Gold classic. I don't know if anyone ever been to spicy barbecue. 
go over there, cop that cost soy immediately. That shit is straight fire. That's some of the best food in that. That's honestly, so people are like, oh, what's the best Thai in LA? And I'm going to just, I'm going to boast here. I'm a fucking expert on Thai food in Los Angeles. Oof. I I've, I've had chicken sautés up and down freaking Sunset Boulevard and Hollywood Boulevard and Western. And that place has some of the best out of anywhere. If you want like Kasoy, uh, their Thai sausage, the chicken saute is really good. Uh, what's the other one? The beef, the, the barbecue jerky dweez? What's it? The yeah, crying the, tiger? Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, the crying tiger is fire. So spicy barbecue. It's a gangster-ass name for a dish, too. Dude, and it's the best. You know, there in Jitlada, it's just the fire. Um, we shot at Pho 2000, no. which is right here on Western and Beverly. Yeah. Really good. Yeah, fire Vietnamese food, cash only as it should be. Um, we shot... Yeah, where else we shoot? I don't know, some other ones. I, I, I didn't use... I feel like I'm going to get slack for this when the film is released, but on purpose... I didn't film any Mexican food because I feel people always show people eating tacos in LA and I wanted to show more Asian food and like Armenian food and that stuff. So in it, he doesn't eat tacos and it's something I've struggled with if I made the right decision, but Mm -hmm. he's a Latino guy, but he's not very connected. He's, he's really a child of the prison system. So there's kind of a lack of connection to his culture that you see throughout it. So, yeah, I'm not gonna lie, man. There's it's kind of hard to not eat tacos in LA. I know, I know. <laughs> you got to do- dodge him. You got to dodge him. Yeah, you yeah. got to like dodge tacos if you live in like in LA. <laughs> no, I, and I love him, bro. I, I mean, I, there's so many good tacos in LA. It's it's actually overwhelming. You know what? Let's just hope that like the the taco like passionate taco lovers don't don't catch that and, and start attacking you i know i'm actually like a little scared because like <laughs> i've really felt like i made this film for like local la heads and they're gonna be like yo this motherfucker eats pho but no freaking carne asada taco like what's wrong uh-huh. i'll just i'll just give i'll give orson the pass on this one because you know as a filmmaker who wants to show different sides of la i think you're naturally blinded from showing maybe certain obvious things that uh, people might come to expect. So I'm going to give you a pass on it. You know, 90 yeah, minutes, go get tacos afterwards or bring tacos and, you know, have your tacos with the movie. There you go. And, and if it goes viral and people start attacking, you could just direct them to this podcast so that they can get the full story on the topic. Yeah, that's a great idea. Like me, because, and actually <laughs> Dweez shows up in the movie. I'm going to let y'all know. Oh, surprise. Dweez shows up as the, uh, as the food journal critic at the end of the film. When he opens his restaurant, which I'm not going to say what it is, because you got to watch the film to find out what restaurant he opens. Yes, sir. Um, but I, Louise was like my like young buck, Jonathan Gold, you know. So, I mean, there's worse young bucks to be, and I I can't deny. I, I feel like 90% of Orson and I's relationship happens over hilarious meals at various scattered places around LA. So it was only it was only right and only righteous, and it was a pleasure. It's a pleasure to do. Benny Blanco's there in that in that same scene as well, uh, doing our thing. But yeah, guys, I don't know. Do you wanna do you wanna take one more break and then we'll get back with it? A uh, little tea time with Dewey's action and we'll keep it moving. Yeah.
We Back, Orson Oblowitz, Odog. Uh, we are drinking, or we, we're, we're drinking virtually via, via Zoom, a little raw pour from Denong Tea in Pasadena. I hope that that place exists by the time this is all over. They'll always have online, but I mean, come on. We used to love drinking tea in person. But, uh, you know, before, before we left off, we kind of set, a, set the scene with, for some people with five rules of success. There's a scene that I get to feature in. Orson and I got to, you know, work together on that. But there was one other time where Orson and I got to work together that I kind of wanted to talk about that our, that our listeners might remember. Um, or I'm sorry, my, our listeners might be familiar with about, I don't know, Orson, was it six or seven years ago now? This, this multi-talented, multi-faceted man, my friend, my good friend, Orson, I needed a, someone to help film a former soccer star named Vinny Jones, who used to play for Chelsea Football Club and who, uh, who used to uh, be, what was he, Juggernaut in the X-Men movies? Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and in about five or 10 other things. And I got to shout out the boy, Mike Coakley, who uh, he and I were working on a show that Vice Sports and Fox Sports uh, both were interested in, but neither could really afford to do the audacious things we had planned. But we basically shot a short, uh, a short little, I don't know what you want to call it, a sizzle, sizzle reel with Vinnie Jones. And Orson came with me up to Mulholland Drive and accessed Vinnie's house. And I mean, it was just such a, it was such a trippy thing because I mean, you know, when you're in your 20s and you're talking about all the ideas you have as a creative and the things you want to do. And like, I was always, you know, in awe of what Orson was up to, what Ben was up to, uh, you know, and I'm, we're short of passing books around, passing all stuff. Like, lo and behold, like the first chance we get to like actually do something together is this, is this like weird conversation with Vinnie Jones. And I just wanted to know what Orson remembers of that day. And, uh, for all the Chelsea fans out there, the strong man, Vinnie Jones is, is, you know, very Hollywooded out nowadays. And he had just wrapped up some other shooting and was talking They're shooting about a reality show. Oh, that's what it was. That's what it was. Yeah. So, so Orson sets up and we just talked to Vinny a little bit, but yeah. What do you remember of that day? Oh, I remember him yelling at the female producer of the reality show, dude, <laughs> because they were running late. And he was like, get out, Mike, get out my house. And he was like, yeah, yeah. Y'all just wait right there. He had that big dog. Do you remember that? He was he was like he screamed at these people to get yeah, out of his yeah. house. He he's like, a scary. He's a scary guy. Like he is, he is his character. <laughs> yeah, he is. He is what you think he is. Um, and he was he was gracious, and you know he answered everything we needed to answer. But it was just like a surreal thing to be, you know, on Mahalan Drive, like talking to this kind of British football man who had sort of made his his name and his way in Hollywood and Orson and I, I'm pretty sure beforehand and after we just went back home and played FIFA, you know, <laughs> just tried to like, oh, yeah. and tried to forget our problems. And, and, and Orson, Ben and I, like, you know, we played FIFA to pass the time to talk about creative ideas, to, to talk about relationships that were going well or failing. Um, we have so many like good memories of playing that game and uh, one of the funniest things that Orson texted me right, right after our boy Benny uh, made it out of his accident, just safe and sad, was he's like, "Yeah, man, I played, I played Ben right in, in FIFA like a couple of days before the accident." And I was like, "What happened?" And you said, "I said I beat him." 
<laughs> I felt so bad, dude. I felt so bad because I, I smoked him in two out of three games. And honestly, Ben Ben normally beats me, but like me me rocking him that hard was definitely like a sign of things to come. <laughs> you should have known when I, you know, I think we were playing as maybe it was like, you know, he was probably playing some like, you know, team he's loyal to, like Arsenal or or like, I don't know, maybe even like, you know, Argentina and I was, you know, France or Germany or something, you know, like he would be like, I'll be in Arsenal. I'll be like, cool. I'll be like Liverpool. Like, you know, <laughs> I'll be, you know, um, yeah. And he just, uh, actually the one game I was like down like three goals and I came back and, and, and I won. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's funny. Cause I bring up, I bring up FIFA cause, cause you know, Orson's been to, lafc games obviously at, you know with with ben and i as interested as we are and you know he loves the community and gets the whole vibe he like gets it um but really like over the years like our big connection with the sport has always been through fifa and i know that's so common in the u.s and like it's popular you know nfl players play fifa basketball players play fifa college kids everywhere but i don't think it's been popularized enough how much uh just your run-of-the-mill creatives play FIFA to sort of just like beat back five or ten minutes of um of of the stress of a deadline or or the incongruity of the film world and our financial future uh or whatever you want to call it and it's just I, I just have a lot of great memories of that and Slim and Josh like I don't think we've like talked a ton about FIFA on our pod um and I look forward to doing it but do you guys do you have a FIFA outlet like does this sort of serve the same function for you guys and did you ever just have long long-standing rivalries with your homies like orson myself and ben have had uh yeah i have uh when i lived in hawaii for a bit my roommates and i would i think back then we were playing winning 11 that was the best one uh-huh um so yeah i mean with everything push-ups um you know and it's with my high school buddies it was a mixture of actually no they didn't really play fifa because like they sucked and then they they didn't like doing things they suck at so they would just make us play 2k all the time so hey high school buddies fuck you guys um and then uh ben chi when we worked together like during lunch break we we had a tv at our office and we would throw on fifa and um he whooped my ass so i don't really like playing fifa that much anymore <laughs> Spice man, do you are you are you a FIFA head at all? I feel like you could you could go either way. Spice could go either way. <laughs> Yo, um, I beat Benchy at FIFA, and he's the worst fucking loser because he swears he doesn't remember losing to me. He swears we never played each other. Like, isn't that the worst fucking? That's just Ben in a nutshell, and Ben and my relationship all together. If I have one thing above him, he's like, never happened. <laughs> But um, you know what? I'm a career, I'm a FIFA career mode junkie, which is like the worst kind of junkie because they haven't given mm. a shit about us in a long, long time. Yeah. I'm not good enough to play online because I get whacked, I get waxed by fucking like some like 12 year old in like fucking in Poughkeepsie, right? And uh, so I am good, like just simulating like up to like 25 seasons, you know, of FIFA and like going through like being at the front office and all that and um, going through regions and all that stuff. So I'm a big career mode junkie. My first FIFA was FIFA 98 and 64. Oh, wow. Killer. Yeah. Damn. Damn. That's old school. I like yeah. I like FIFA 11. That was my favorite one. I had a homie we used 11. to play all the time and uh, 
one time I beat him. I was back in New York. It was it was like in 2011 or 2012, and he got so mad he took the controller, he threw it against the wall, and then threw it out the window. <laughs> I'll never forget. I was like, "Damn, dog." Sorry. I miss I miss that spirited rivalry. I feel like I need that back in my life. And this digital this digital divide between things, not being able to have that in person. There's something about playing next to your friend as you're playing FIFA. I mean, I get it. We could like play remotely, but there's something about like sitting next to your homie and having him, you know, break the controller and throw it out the window that just doesn't quite ring the same when you're doing it over Zoom or whatever, you know? Yeah. And let's be honest, there's always a little bit of dirty play where you like give your homie the Charlie horse, like when he's about to score. Like hoping that he'll fuck, you know. Like there's yeah. always a little more dirty you play. Fucking and seven, what is wrong with you? Bro? Well, no, I stand up in front of Ben, dude. I stand <laughs> up in front of Ben. Yeah, ask him all the time because he's got yeah. this projector, and I'll just be like, oh, oh, I'll get really into it. I'll like go stand it up there, and he'll be like, yo, bro, and I'll be like, yeah, what's up, dude? I <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, shout out Ben Chi. He's gotten quite a few dead arms from me, like while playing FIFA. Yeah, and then and there's he's a- skinny, so it's not hard. Well, there's also like good seats and bad seats, you know, there's like better angles and worse angles. There's like, there's like a home field advantage when you're playing in front of somebody's TV. I don't know. There's just a whole, a fun aspect to it that I really, uh, I just miss it. And, um, another thing that I really missed this last year was the cinematic experience as many of us have, those of us who love watching movies. And, you know, I think, all through the spring and the summer. I didn't obviously go see a movie anywhere. I was just like everybody else binging shit at home. And lo and behold, in the fall, Orson texts me and he says that uh, he's going to have the the film that, you know, I got to be a critic in and, and his new one that he had told me about for some time. And I was really excited to see Five Rules of Success. And he was going to have it at a drive-in at this you know, basically down on the other side of the train tracks, just kind of near Boyle Heights, right across the street from the, you know, part of part of downtown where the arts district is uh, right near. It's sort of right near um, several of those breweries, indie brewings right there. And, uh, you know, we go down there and it's it's every Saturday night fever dream. You could imagine during the pandemic, people are doing donuts. People are drinking by their cars, hanging out with everybody outside. And Orson set up a, a truck and projected the film from the front of his car onto the truck. And we watched the whole thing, tune into your radio station in your car. And there was about, I don't know, Orson, what, 10, 15 of us? Like yeah, it was car, like 10, 15 cars. 10, 15 I mean. cars. And then, yeah. yeah, and the train was going by. And we shot down there on Meyer Street. It was by the Pato Salsa factory. Yeah. You remember the guy crashed his motorcycle and broke his leg next to Yeah, us? there's a there's a guy who crashed his motorcycle, broke his leg <laughs> while we're watching the movie. There's a train that passes by like while we're watching the movie. Like it was just it was such a cool like I don't know, it was like it was the probably the rawest cinema moment of my life. And I told, <laughs> and I told Orson then and I uh, and I'll repeat it now, like it was top 3 memories of 2020 for sure. Like it, it was, awesome. it was probably the, one of the best things that I did, if not the best thing that I did during quarantine, it was just so cool. And so, you know, I'm, I'm basically recounting this experience and, and everything for everyone because Orson has gone ahead and he's found a way to show rules of success at a drive-in type situation. Unfortunately, there's probably not going to be motorcycle accidents and trains driving by, but he's, He's working I mean, with it is, <laughs> it is only like half a block from Hollywood Boulevard. So oh, it's gonna be. You never know. You never know. You never know, dude. Yeah, 
Um, There's going to be shit going down still. <laughs> but yeah, Orson, I think this is the same. Arena Cine Lounge is the same place you've done some of your other screenings. Um, as as rules of success, sort of, you look at your distribution options. You're, you guys are going to show the film at this uh, at this drive-in setting at least once on March 11th, and then if it goes well, more screenings, right? Yeah. So we're gonna do we're gonna do our first drive-in is March 11th. Um, and the goal is, you know, we can get as many people out as we can that it can fit um, car wise. It's at this arena center lounge where boys kind of held me down. We did, they showed both my other movies. We did like a cool day where they showed some of my films, some of my dad's films. Christian, the owner is a super cool dude. And when COVID hit, you know, it just, it, it, it destroyed the kind of film theaters, right? Like it's just sadly... No one's going to be sitting in a fucking, you know, dark place with eating popcorn, drinking Coke. It's hard. It just it just does not gel well with COVID. Um, and it makes sense. So, you know, he over the year just hustled uh, the owner of Arena and he put together a drive in in the hood in Hollywood and in a parking lot. And I really respect that because I think we all have had to find ways to innovate during this time it hasn't been easy but we all got to figure it out and like he kind of went from being like a guy who's just like like showing weird little indies to now you know he was the only place playing wonder woman in la for a little because there was no other theaters he's only driving in uh the la metropolitan area you go outside there's vineland there's other drive-ins but he's the only one kind of showing for the most part um those films and indie movies so i hit him up we talked and he was like, yeah, you, you know, we'll give you a night. If you can get some people there. We'll do more and more because to me, I find, um, I mean, not to get too much into it, but as an indie filmmaker, distribution is very exploitative. You want to, you know, say eventually I'm going to put it on streaming on iTunes or Amazon. 50% of every dollar I'm getting is going to these big corporations. Right. So it kind of bums me out that I'm here on my own with a few people working really hard, taking all this risk. And then just for the pleasure of being on their platform, every dollar that we're trying to scrounge up to not, we're not getting paid. We have to pay back the people who we got to pay for the film. Half of that's going to places that don't need my money. Amazon doesn't need your money. iTunes doesn't need your, Apple definitely doesn't need your money. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, 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 a you know, so this was a really cool opportunity to try to do something locally, which I believe in. And I feel it's a local LA film. So yeah, we partnered up with them. We're doing the first one, March 11th. If that goes well, you know, we'll hopefully do it. He'll he's down to throw a few more up there. It also looks like we're going to partner with the Lemley theaters another local LA chain and do a virtual, like do a, a virtual run with them. So people could rent it at home uh, over like a two week period. Just, you know, to expand, but trying different things and seeing, you know, I don't know what people's comfort levels are. Drive-ins are super chill. They're really fun. I love it because you can bring any food you want. Mm. So, like, you don't got to freaking, you know, spend all this money on theater food. You can go cop freaking, you know, Harold's chicken or freaking spicy barbecue. Spicy barbecue. Shout out, you know, cop the restaurants of the film. Spicy barbecue for 2000. You know, get some Tito's tacos, whatever you want, like do your thing. Um, and I love that part of the experience, you know, like I like it 
it, it's a little more of what we were talking about earlier. In LA, we have space, so we can do a drive-in and we have cars, something you don't have in New York, which is, this has been difficult for New York to acclimate to. Mm-hmm. What, so, what, what other things are in drive-in etiquette, Orson? Like it's, uh, so food, food is um, acceptable from outside to bring into your own car. What convertible owners? Are they allowed to sit on top of their vehicles or you can or do whatever? Yeah. You can sit on your, you, like a thing that I, I drive an SUV, like an old forerunner. Like the thing I love to do is you reverse in, pop mm. the trunk, and then you can just kick it. You put the sound system on and you can just kick it in the back with the trunk open eating oh, yeah. like it's a picnic. Same with convertibles, you know, it's cool. Like we can, we, you do whatever you want. You know, I want it to feel you know, it's a serious film, but it's also trippy and crazy. So I want people to feel like they can like have fun, you know, fucking eat an edible, but don't, 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 don't eat an edible and drive, but you know, eat an edible, but like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, like do I'm, have fun, you know, like, I don't know. It's not so stringent. It's not so sterile back in the seventies, eighties, nineties, people were a little more loose about these things. Mm-hmm. And I like that vibe. So yeah, you can bring food, you can bring drinks, you can bring whatever you want. You can sit on the top of your car, you can sit in the back of your car, pop the convertible open. Um, obviously, you know you're in a neighborhood, so can't we? You know we're not trying. Everyone's at home trying to do their thing, sleep, work. But it's really cool to do that in Hollywood. Like to have a drive-in in the middle of Hollywood is pretty tight. We shot partly in Hollywood Boulevard. I don't know. I dig them. I, I like cars as well. Like I love LA car culture. I've always been obsessed with it. So gotcha. it's right, kind of which shows and stuff would you go to or like the meetups for that? Um, there's the one in there's obviously the one in Elysian Park. Mm-hmm. There's the there's one in there's this one in Burbank that I used to go take photos at. That was like by the at the uh, at the Burbank Airport in the parking lot around the corner where like people would show up in Cadillacs and like weird ass, like Toyota MR2s and weird ass little Nissans that they had like pimped out and stuff. Like it, mm-hmm. it was really fun. Have, have you gotten into this new car culture right now with all the takeovers and shit? I've, I've been to the, I, I mean, I ended up at the one in Echo Park once mm-hmm. and drove by the one in Fairfax. I was on the way because this homegirl of mine was like, she actually hit me up. She was like, I'm stuck in this, like, I don't know why she ended up hitting me up. She's like, I'm stuck in this car thing. Do you know what's going on? And I'm like, it was on Hollywood Boulevard. She hit me up because I was in Hollywood Boulevard. And I was like, no, but I'm going to go down there and peep it. And then that's <laughs> the one but that's the one where the girl sadly got shot at. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was I really mean, sad, you know? I just saw a video where, like, they're in the takeover. Two cars bump into each other. They come out. They start scrapping. And then, like, literally... 15 20 gunshots go off and the guys just get back into the car and start driving in circles again i mean it's la it's just like that's what when we did the first screening at buyer street Mm -hmm. it was like that it was like donuts trucks burning out like it was it was really awesome um i have videos but i'm sure alex i have everyone who's there does but it's just cool man it's la it's like we get to you know, we get to enjoy our local culture a little bit during this time. And it's nice to be able to do a drive-in. It's nice to show films locally. It's nice to showcase. You know, that's why I love what you guys do. Like, I've been to a bunch of LAFC games. 
I love that it's all local restaurants, it's local beer, it's local food, it's local, it's 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 kind of like the people of LA, not the bullshit of LA. And I love obviously the stadium and where it is. Like that's a great I've been I love the science museum across from it. Like, you know, it's <laughs> and I and that's kind of like the divide of like the indie movie scene to like, you know, like glitz and glamour Hollywood right now. Like the I mean it's it's kind of been hard for like the the more creative movies even just to say because like or more original movies because right now the only things getting funded are like comic books or books or like stories that have been already told being like retold and remastered right like so 100% yeah yeah like so do you feel like with with this whole like fall of the movie theaters like that they'll continue to just be going for those big stories or will they will hollywood you know kind of be shifting more towards like that old like original creative story that that we used to love i'm hoping that it's more of a tribal uh community like like you're talking about where we get to do these smaller indies Mm -hmm. and they can find a way you know we're really as independent filmmakers we're really up against the machine of corporations of netflix is a big corporation amazon's Mm -hmm. a big corporation uh, Apple, Fox owns Hulu. Dis- I mean, Disney owns Fox. Like, who owns Hulu? They have Disney Plus. Yeah. It's very hard when you try to go and do something different, and they just keep telling you, "Hey, it doesn't fit into our model. It doesn't fit in." Gotcha. And you're going, "Okay, if it doesn't fit in, then I'm going to go find my own place." And lo- I think we're very. I'm lucky at this moment with the pandemic because there's so little films to show that I'm trying to take this opportunity to be like well, then let's try something different because you all need to make a living. We want to get our film out there. Like I'm hoping that, you know, maybe it will find an organic following and outside of those kind of corporate entities who make endless comic book films and the endless, and listen, I'm okay with that, dude. I like, I like a comic book film. I'm obsessed. I watch like every goddamn freaking marvel tv show ever made yo wandavision <laughs> is dope like i love avengers but those aren't films those are theme park rides and mm. you know they're escape and that's okay but i feel and there's so much streaming right like you go on netflix it's so hard to know what to watch even mm-hmm. so i think we're just trying to find our place you know like um and try to find a little community. And if this is the film that it works with, great. And if not, hopefully I'll get to do another one. And the people who I work with, like my boy Christian Diegos, who's helped me funding, is my partner in all, on these films and stuff. We can keep trying it out and experimenting. Because, I don't know, like you're saying, like I just, it's so hard to go against these studios, man, and to go against these big films and... Yeah. There's less and less places to showcase. There's a lot of great films being made that no one are, no one has seen, you know? Oh, that's so heartbreaking. Yeah, because I think we all have the same problem. Like, do you guys, I'm sure you go on Netflix and you scroll through it for like 30 minutes and you don't know well, what to watch, you know? Yeah, and I mean, in a way, for me, it's kind of anal- analogous to the restaurant scene, right? I mean, do we all want to be eating at like Chipotle's for the rest of our lives? Or do oh, we want to have our like local taco spots, right? I mean, it's sort of like that on a different scale, like, and in a different arena. But it's like, I hope we always have some weird film 
art stuff to go to gravitate towards. And just as the pandemic's made it harder on everyone, it hopefully could also help fracture some of the monopolization of it. And yeah, maybe these things can find their little, their champions, their communities, their niches. And I mean, I think anyone who loves variety, like if you just love variety, you have to root against everything becoming just this monolith model where like, you know, we only have to be on the theme park ride. I think we can all agree that a theme park ride now and again is fine, but it's not, it doesn't have to be either or it can be a both end thing. If there was, if there's room for these films to breathe. And I think that like, you know, even if I didn't know Orson and had I gone to his, the film last October, I think it was, and watch, it's just so, such a great, it, that was a different kind of theme park ride. You know, it was like, it was a different kind of experience. It was a different thing that it made my week. It made my month, it made my year. And like, yeah, I, I can't recommend going to check out his film in the, in, you know, five rules of success in a drive-in, but just in general, like if you can find little tastes of indie film, even if you consider yourself kind of a more standard issue film person, if you're a star Wars head, but you know, every, every month, you know, you're kind of like, I need to, I need to take a break from Boba Fett for a second and find out what's, what's up with, uh, what's up with the rest of the world, you know? So that's, that's my pitch. Get a little weird with us and you might learn something about yourself. You might learn something about the world. Oh yeah. Oof. So I, like I don't that, know. Please. I don't know, boys. Let's uh, let's do a little recommendations for the for the people to close out the pod. Uh, we'll definitely have you know posts for for the screening up on our on our episode notes and in social when we post the episode. But uh, Spice or Slam, are you guys ready with your recommendations? Yeah, I got one. Um, I'm back in gaming, so uh, Apex Legends. You know, I feel like COD is a little too slow. So if you want something a little more fast-paced and you're into first-person shooters, um, let's uh, shoot people's heads off together. I'll let your boy. Shoot them together. Hey, Sean Dwyer, and shout-out to uh, David, hey, Josh's, Josh's roommate. Yeah, so I've been playing with David. Sean Dwyer, I asked you for your fucking username a week and a half ago, you asshole. Fucking send me your fucking username. What a dickhead. Sam, what's your, what's your, what's your handle? Your gamer handle? Spiceman, do you have a recommendation? Slim three two five two. You fucking cornball, bro. Hey man, I'm not creative with my usernames and shit. I've had Slim Coda since like I was eighteen. Yo, shout out Slim that. and I because we forget the password to all of our SoundClouds and our Patreons, and then we always have to like go Fuck on a text worse. thread, and then we fucking we 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 remember what it is eventually and it's like the dumbest shit like it's like always it's okay. like two 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 months later we're gonna forget it again don't worry <laughs> we're up. the fucking worse spice okay, what's my, your wreck my reco my reco okay i just watched minari which is incredible um oh, steven young Ooh. Lee yeah, i'm dying to see it it's incredible it's incredible it's uh it's really funny and, and sweet in a lot of parts like i'm i'm kind of worried about seeing like immigrant struggle stories just because like it's not i don't take a lot of pleasure in them you know it's not as escapist as i think i i like in my film sometimes but it was uh really really beautiful i will say there's one other if you're a fan you have to watch this other uh this youtube series called what's eating steven young this is a deep cut for all the fcfc heads here it's steven young in like a in like a reality tv like dramatized version of steve young goes to korea to become a celebrity a, a korean mukbang celebrity so if any fcfc heads know it's mukbang is where you just eat in front of a camera really deliciously and sexily 
and Steve this series like five years ago and it's hilarious about like how a Korean American person thinks being famous in Korea is like he goes through like weird like Korean rituals and superstitions and um, it's incredible so it's what's eating Steven Yun and uh, it's on YouTube okay now. yeah I'm gonna check that out yeah you know you know funny. Benny Blanco is low-key homies with Steven Yun they work together Bro, he was, I was texting him and he's like, yeah, Steve told me he's very excited. I was like, fuck you, Ben. Yeah, dude. Steve he fucking directs him. He directs him for Final Space, bro. I'm always like, dude, he's such a good actor. I'm slow. Like, Yo, just shout out him for like bagging the hot white girl in like a, a, a lead role in Hollywood. So, hey, you know. it's a big, big moment, baby. Let's go. Steven Young is dope. He's 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 the future. Like he's he's one of the best actors Barred on. And I actually remember a few years ago, I had some like film I was trying to do, and I went to some people and I was like, yo, we should put Steven Young in it. They were like, ooh, no one wants to see him doing film. I was like, you guys are fucking idiots. Wow. And uh, yeah, of course, because like he was just in Walking Dead, right? And like, yeah, yeah. There's mad stigma in, in Hollywood against Asian leading men. Like, right. they've never been up for an Academy Award. It's all bullshit. But um, he's, he's such a, I don't know if you guys saw Burning. Yeah. Yeah. So I did. good. Yeah. So that's dope. I'm dying to see Minari. So, Definitely. Orson, what's what's your what's your wreck? Uh, since because of the football, I'm gonna wreck a, a deep cut uh, British film. It's called The Firm, with Gary Oldman, directed by yeah. Alan Clark, a filmmaker who was a big influence on the Five Rules Success. And it's about like uh, like a a football club in uh, Britain in the late '80s. And it's pretty hardcore, but it's it's pretty it's pretty cool. It's what Gre- Green Street Hooligans wanted to do with uh, <laughs> with Shia LaBeouf. No, who who's in it? Uh, Elijah, Wood. Elijah Wood. Elijah, yeah, yeah. Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood. Many years later, uh, I gotta check what the team is in the firm. I oh. think it might be West Ham. No, Chelsea. West Ham was Green Street. Preston yeah. North End. Preston North End. Preston, no, I'll find it out. Yeah. While, while Orson's looking that up, I've got to make my my big wreck, which is actually which was an Orson wreck by way of my cousin. I know I've been talking a lot about graphic novels and comics recently, but this guy, Sabrina, the graphic novel by Nick Dernasso, yo, this this was insane. I mean, just in terms of the art style and like the different panels and the space if you're at all a comic graphic novel head and you don't want something more in like the fantasy realm or like thriller realm this was just like this really eerie walkthrough um it's kind of a mystery but it's sort of just a feeling that's the best way i can put it this this whole this whole thing sabrina it's really exciting um really well reviewed and i think it might have came out in 2018 or 2019 and yeah couldn't recommend it more orson was the one that told me to grab it off ben's shelf and uh sabrina check it out all right well uh orson you also have a ton of ill photography that we didn't get a chance to tell everybody about um do you want to give them your your instagram handle and any other places online where they can check out your work yeah check me it's at orson manchild um <laughs> yeah mainly it's a lot of photography because that's my uh that's my other love of and i spent a lot of time photographing the weirdest cracks of this beautiful city we love cracks we love the city earthquake town skateboarders use them to do 360 flips over trash cans let's go uh 
Slim, do you want to take us out? Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, this has been another episode of the FCFC pod. We appreciate you rocking with us. Also, we're going to have the link uh, for the tickets to the drive-in in the bio. It'll be up on our Instagram. So if you guys are looking to check out a movie and in a you know fun experience uh check that out and we'll see you guys next week peace peace fcfc 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 fcfc